Unlearning Labels. The podcast mission is not to offer solutions, but to offer a safe space to have the conversations that impact organizations and to deconstruct the issues. In this way, companies can better understand the problems, where they stand, and how we can help. Each month, on the last Wednesday, we dive into defining an aspect of allyship and diversity. Tune in as a team and make it part of your monthly staff meeting. Now for the show. Tonight, on our second episode of Unlearning Labels, we actually have a guest. So, um, hello, Peter. Hello, Mira. How are you? Hello. (laughs) Um, Today, our guest is Dorothy Dalton, and she, um, we met her in a clubhouse room, the clubhouse room that we keep every Thursday evening. She is heavily involved in HR and tech, and particularly in potential changes to HR and the workplace processes and practices, including remote working and post-COVID-19 challenges. She is also a keynote speaker, author, facilitator, HR blogger, and media contributor. She's written handbooks and designed training programs for major international organizations to combat bullying and harassment to build inclusive workspaces. Um, She supports major international organizations that seek to achieve gender balance, diversity, and inclusion. Dorothy recently conducted research for one of these institutes relating to microaggressions in the, in the workplace. And so that's why we're having her on tonight. So um, with no further ado, I just want to welcome Ms. Dorothy Dalton, Dalton to our Hi. show. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're located. Great to have you with us. Yeah, welcome, welcome. And thank you for joining us tonight. No, you're very welcome. So let's just dive right in and really define, I know we've been talking in our clubhouse room every week about microaggression, but can you please define what that is for us? Um, A a microaggression is a slight or an indignity that is imposed on another person, which causes them discomfort, harm, Um, Basically, it's it's a way of making someone feel bad about themselves, and it can be intentional or unintentional, and both are equally harmful. And depending on the nature of the microaggression, I mean, particularly if it's one of a sexual nature, it can even be a criminal offence. So I think it's in in some geographies. So I think it's um, things that we dismiss with, um, they didn't mean that, it was just a joke, you're being a bit emotional, where's your sense of humor? Um, That's just how it is here. I mean, all of these excuses that we are used to um, for covering things like that up. Hmm. You know what occurred to me, and I don't know if you remember from our conversations on Clubhouse that it looked like to me and actually to Cordelia Mayer as well that are they not there for 
macro. Because I know we're saying micro, and even before we were started to research this topic, I, I understood aggressions, right? But when you put micro in front of it, isn't that almost a double-edged sword? Because it almost sounds like it's just small. And it sounded like from your, and thank you, a clear explanation of what, of what a, mac, a microaggression is. Therefore, are they not macro? Mm. <laughs> um, no, I, I think it, I think it, it, it makes it easier to be binary, um, but <laughs> yeah. I, I think that it's always more nuanced, and that's why it's so difficult to manage. So, mm. if someone says to me, um, "My dear, will you um, come up uh, to the stage?" as someone did to me last week in um, in Clubhouse, they, they didn't think any, anything of it. Right? And probably no one else did. But if you are a professional woman in the workplace and someone calls you, my dear, sweetie, babe, um, all of these things all the time, mm. or they ask you to serve the coffee or take the notes or um, organize the baby shower, um, or they might just, you know, comment on your appearance, um, then all of these things build up and it does become a pattern of behavior which causes that person extreme discomfort. Mm -hmm. So I think um, I, I see a macroaggression as some sort of physical, verbal abuse, sexual mm -hmm. abuse, um, which is very obvious and easily defined. But I think it's the buildup of the small mm -hmm. stuff that's harder to deal with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the 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 build up, the the product of it is is a macro discomfort, and and it's it has really big impact on the person, but it's not easily easily visible as it's happening. I think Peter mentioned it the other day. It's like a it's like a small cuts, small razor cuts that yeah. on on one on its own is not a big deal, but there's many of them. Then obviously, if our psyche and and we are suffering. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I think that um, you, I, I have an interesting story. I, I was running, in, in fact, you, you spent time in, in Dubai, haven't you? Did you spend time in Dubai? Yeah, I did yeah. in Abu Dhabi, in fact. And it was a, a training or on unconscious bias. And I thought I was going to get lynched, I, I, I have to say. And um, the, the managing director of the, of the company um, was really behind this initiative and he introduced it and within seconds of having introduced it he was making cracks about women drivers and the way they park <laughs> so I think it I think it's just about things that are so deeply embedded in our life view that even though on the one hand that we might take an official stance where we don't support this in our workplace cultures it, it's part of um, our biases and, and, and the way we see and do things and see the world. Yeah, that's an interesting, um, you know, realization that you just shared there because there's the, the talk about unconscious bias, right? So if it's just something that's ingrained in, in someone, they may be aware of it, but like how do you on the corporate cultural level overcome that? I don't think you can overcome it. And, and it's one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm really keen to debunk. I don't think you can combat, you can't um, 
eradicate it or use of all these these words that, that obliterate it, take it out. All you can do is manage it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's about setting up systems where we become aware, and you can call it a stand-up culture, a call-out culture, whatever you feel comfortable with, but where people can say um, that that's not appropriate to making cracks about women drivers parking their cars. Um, and I don't feel comfortable with that. And it requires that sort of act to, to um, just to remind people they're doing it. I mean, we all do it. I do it. You know, you know, make assumptions about things and use generalizations that um, I need to be reminded of. Yeah, I like your honesty and I appreciate that, Dorothy, because it's everyone's responsibility to work on your own awareness. And I know that we can all play the blame game. I've been guilty of it. And like you've just said, I'm guilty of making mistakes and putting my foot in it. You know, it happens. But I'm just less likely to not want to work on that. And I'm quite open when I do it with with an individual, especially with a spot that I can see that that person's been impacted by it, but in a negative way, that I'm willing to make myself feel a bit unvulnerable, you know, vulnerable and uncomfortable. But that takes a bit of courage, right? So for people watching and listening, what can you do? What steps can you do if you've if you're feeling uncomfortable because there are people around you that are you know, making sexist remarks or those horrible jokes where they're just cringeworthy. But there seems to be a culture where people know that it's wrong, but everyone just ignores it. It, it, it is difficult, isn't it? and it does require, cult, I mean, courage. I, I think you, you, you've got three options, probably. I mean, the first one is to call it out as it happens, mm. um, but always in a way of... Um, I don't like you, you know, don't make sexist remarks about Susan because it upsets her. So you're making Susan a victim twice. Um, It's, I'm not comfortable when you're making remarks about Susan or what she's wearing or her legs or, you know, whatever the sexist remark, I I would would like you to stop. Um, And then that boundary is clear. Sometimes that's not always possible. So I would advise someone to take them aside and do it privately using the same technique. Um, and, 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 you know, it, it's a methodology that um, I call the CIA methodology, which is um, context, intention, action. So you establish the intention behind what the person meant. And quite often they don't realize they're being offensive. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm all about giving someone, um, in most circumstances, the benefit of the doubt, unless they convince me otherwise. So if you've decided that they don't mean malintent, then just say, okay, well, you know, let's agree that you're not going to do that again. And then um, obviously what you can do then is to bring on support and, and get, you know, somebody to say, hey, you know, just bring a colleague on and they call that the shine or amplification. And you, you just get a colleague. If it's someone who does it continuously, then you, you have two people who say, yeah, that's not okay. I'm not sure what you what you meant by that, but this is not the appropriate place for that type of comment. And Peter, do you agree? Mm. Um, so I think it can it can be diffused without um, causing conflict because I think that's what people think that it's going to cause conflict or it is going to damage the work environment. Mm. And, and then and then 
organizations and and people are shying away because it's 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 commonly known that people don't like conflict and they really try to do anything just to not get go there so yeah it absolutely makes sense that uh, and and that's it i mean creating i mean what we are trying to do with this podcast as well is create awareness of what it is and what it isn't what happens and what doesn't happen so people are more willing and open to go there yeah. And, and I think the best thing of all is if the person who is the target um, just says, whoa, you know, um, I, you know, you've just said such and such. Um, you know, I don't know what's going on with you or what you were thinking, but really um, I'm not okay with that. I, I don't want you to say it, do it again. And, and that should be the end of the conversation. But sometimes the mm. person gets a bit aggressive. Yes, mm. you know? yeah. What, what do you mean? I mean, I mean anything, but it's my right to say what I want here. You know, you can imagine this sort of escalation. Mm. And then sometimes you might have to bring in, you know, a, an HR person or your line manager or whatever it is, if, if that person becomes really offensive and aggressive. But then you, you say, look, I can see that you're angry. Um, so we can either talk about this again when you're calmer so that we can get somewhere. Or maybe would, would you prefer if we involve, you know, HR or you know, the manager. I mean, you're executive coaches, so I don't know how you would deal with it. Actually, I would agree that what, what you've just said is perfect because me as even pre being an executive coach as a line manager, I did unfortunately have to deal with these things. You know, I'm taking a deep breath because I've just taken myself back through some messy legal and compliance cases. I've even in, appeared in court on behalf of a company and seen these things from both sides of the fence, so to speak. And actually, when people are honest and they've created a safe space where even though the person's had an emotional response and totally get what you're saying when someone acts with aggression, because if they weren't aware, usually even without thinking, it's an automatic response. They may have responded with aggression because they don't have the right tools or they were completely shocked that even they've said it, but then they dig themselves in deeper a little bit by reacting and then there's a whole dialogue and then there's a fallout. But I think if leaders are equipped and taught how to coach and how to give feedback correctly, but create a safe space. So instead of seeing someone as a perpetrator, because as you say, Dorothy, if it's dealt with straight away in the right way, that it doesn't escalate to being a compliance case. And that's what I always tried to do as a leader. And, you know, I didn't always get it right, but I always, first and foremost, tried to deal with it, not in a group context. And as you say, not to make the person that felt uncomfortable as a victim, because that amplifies that. And you don't want to, you know, it, it creates a whole ripple effect, right? So it was to separate the two. I would always check in with the person that felt uncomfortable and say, are you okay that that's been dealt with? And I would say for transparency, I can't really say exactly what I said to that individual, but can you trust me to take that forward? Or is there anything else that you would like me to do? Because I always wanted to empower the person that felt super uncomfortable just to show them that, you know, that there are steps and I want to give you the option of, do you want to take that further? And actually, in most cases, when when the emotion, you know, drops that level and you see them in out of the context of that situation, most people are like, fantastic. I just want that person not to do that again, but I don't want them to be fired or lose the job or anything else. Whatever you want to do with it as a line manager, I trust you to do that. But what I saw quite often is when I got involved in stuff that escalated, it wasn't me that started that. I was involved at a later stage. 
And then that's when it got really messy. He said, she said, a lot of emotion, then bringing in a HR person. And again, I'm not blaming HR, but they didn't really have the right tools, psych psychological tooling, you know, in terms of how to coach and realize that, you know, someone had an unconscious bias, you know, they've made a mistake. Let's not finger point and let's let's unpack that for the person so they can see and give them a way out. And the way out is don't do that again. It's unacceptable. Can you understand that? And can we draw a line in the sand? Or if you do that again, there will be implications. And, and quite often companies don't even say anything, do they? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. what I, I was thinking of. So like, you know, for the next little bit, Dorothy, can I think this is a perfect segue, like the mm -hmm. situations you brought up, Peter, because like what are some of the systems or processes that organizations can put in place so that those agreements are kind of embedded into the culture to make it easier on the front end? Well, I, I'm, I'm a little bit of an outlier on this, but I have persuaded organizations to do it and it, it's really effective. Um, I'm a big fan of the team charter. Um, where, I mean, you can call it whatever you want, but it's basically, I mean, really going down to a local level where the people in your team, you agree between you what, what are your ground rules and what are your benchmarks and what constitutes, um, I, I use the word offence, I don't mean the word, but if, if somebody goes beyond those agreed guidelines and it's much easier for the person to say, you know, hold on, Peter, that's not in our charter. And I find that that sort of low-key way of dealing with things, I mean, I, I've dealt with organizations that have handbooks on harassment, BAPIC, right? Mm. And mm. They, they have um, confidential counselors, they have, you know, hotline phone-ins, um, they're even starting to use tech, you know, where, you know, you have tools where you can, you know, apps where you can report and, you know, do all of these things. Um, but I think the most effective way is if people just start talking to each other mm -hmm. um, on the ground, you know, in their team, in, in you know, in their, their coffee coffee room, we were working remotely now, but when they had coffee rooms or whatever, and they just discuss it. Um, mm -hmm. But sadly, what happens is that usually it doesn't, that doesn't happen, it builds up. It becomes an issue. Someone escalates it through the protocols, and then there's an investigation, and people take, you know, records and, you know, med medical certificates. I mean, you you know what I'm talking about. It, it just becomes this massive thing. And they say that, um, you know, someone has to be have a serious bullying offence six times before they report it. So people are absorbing all of this stress. So it's about cultural transformation and, and creating an openness to um, to to speak up. Yeah, it's it's really that humanity, isn't it? I mean, I think we've lost it a lot in in the world today, especially in in big, it, it because it all became like impersonal in a way, and and we we don't talk to each other. We don't have we then we don't have strong friendships and relationships within within people uh, and stay uh, to get to know each other so that we are safe to talk about things i mean i'm just looking thinking back of family and you know my my mother father my brother we would argue like i would argue with my brother and we would 
fight uh, when we were kids, but it didn't, you know, we, we could talk through it and, and then get on the other side. I, I know it's not the same. They're not such strong bonds, but I think humans can have good bonds when they understand each other and they regard they, they hold the regard towards each other and uh, and and others' well-being, if that makes sense. Mm. I think it's about creating, you know, that 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 um, notion of psychological safety, mm -hmm. where where people feel that they can speak up without being penalised or judged. Yep. And you know, I, I think on on a micro level that some organisations are achieving that, but quite a lot aren't. And I and I think. Mm -hmm remotely has exaggerated that in some ways where you know we're all at the other side of a screen or then what whatsapp or slack channel or whatever it is so i mm. think it's become much harder yeah but you talk about psychological safety and uh, i think that's the best thing you can give as a leader a gift to a function a team yeah it'd be great if it was the whole organization but it is a challenge even if it's a you know at least in little cohorts, you've got a chance of, you know, improving the workplace culture. But it's in those safe teams, or at least this was my experience, whether it was at me as a peer or me as a leader. When I when I experienced people trusting each other, conflict was actually okay. It still made me feel uncomfortable sometimes as a leader, but I knew that we could get through it because it wasn't like the blame game or judgment. There was obviously some frayed, you know, bit of tension and emotion. But as you say, Dorothy, when there's a safe space people feel psychologically okay to be themselves and talk about things anything can be discussed in a, in a really safe close team because high performance that's what it looks like right a team you know, behind the scenes it's a mess but they still produce the goods when they feel safe right? leadership commitment I mean, that these things don't happen in a vacuum. There has to be a leadership commitment mm -hmm. to this is the way we want our organization to be. Um, and this is what we're going to do to change that, to mm. make everyone. So it does, ha it does have to come from the beat top down um, because what happens if you get, and I'm sure you've seen this, if, if you get organizations that are bottom up, changes bottom up, then the leadership is weakened and um, basically is rendered. I won't say they're rendered powerless, but, but they are seriously weakened. If they're out of touch with their, their employees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's another issue then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that comes to mind is what are some takeaways um, for organizations or just individuals, HR individuals who are listening that they can apply like right now as soon as they're finished listening? Well, I think the first thing everybody has to do is, is you know, shine a light on themselves. Mm. Um, you know, I, I was reading something on blind spots yesterday, and I saw this amazing statistic that one in 661 people thinks that, sorry, only one in 661 thinks they are more biased than their peers. So we all think that we're not biased, right? Mm. But everybody else is. Um, so I, I think, honestly, that the most important thing anybody can do is to start a journey of self-awareness. And, and I think that once we start to do that in large numbers, um, things will change. And the other thing to do is, is to make space. 
you know, make space for new people, new ideas, start doing things that you, you might not normally do. I don't know, like watch, if, if you're a white guy, watch something on um, Black Lives Matter or feminism or, you know, if, you, if you're a woman, watch something on, you know, the, on some other minority issue or some, something that pushes you out of your comfort zone. And I think if we all started doing that, then it would change the thinking of, of, of big groups. And then you, because I think one person was not going to go in and change an organization. You've got to, to start gradually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense because what we need to do is really widen our perspective and, and see uh and see the world through the eyes of, of different people. I mean, for, for I guess for us, that's kind of common sense because we lived in so many different countries and work with so many, in so many different organizations that we had to adapt and change and, and adapt different perspective. Uh, and, and it was, you know, I think that was the, the best thing that, I've, that ever happened to me in life. Uh, but I, I don't think many people have this opportunity and, and, and it's not something that, that has been a value in our society for a really long time. It's starting to be, but, uh, but I think we could do much better when it comes to that, isn't it? I've lived and worked internationally and travelled and met all sorts of people, but I, I still have biases. Um, and, and, you know, there are times when, you know, I'm called out on them, or there are times when I, I can feel like a pulse rise, and then I think, when did that happen? And and it would and it will be some you know some deep seated bias that I have. Um, it, it might be you know the way someone speaks. I mean something as simple as that. Um, you, you know what's interesting though. I was thinking about it the other day. You, you know how uh, we we attach certain meaning for a certain name. So like, for example, kid you didn't like in the school or was bullying you had, I don't know, his name was uh, Jack or John. And so every Jack and John later on in your life, the first idea that you, when you hear that name is, is that uh, feeling that comes up and then you attach it to the name. And that's just really so simple. But I remember, um, you know, I, I think Peter was asking me the other day, how did I, what what did I think about refugees for a long time? And that was, I was a refugee and I had the idea and belief about myself, who I am as a refugee that held me back in life a lot in the past. But I was then labeling that same thing to the groups of people in the same situation. And I, you know, I was putting that on them until I, I figured out that, that I was actually doing it. It was really uncomfortable. It was really, you know, am I a bad person for doing it? And until I realized that I didn't know and what I can do now is just stop doing that. Or become aware of when you are doing it and, and yeah. modify your behavior. I mean, I, I think, I think it, we, no matter how, broadly we've been raised to all of our experience and exposure, there will be something in every single one of us that um, will just like trigger something. Mm. Um, and, it, and it's knowing what that is. And it would be even better to like you did to know why. Um, and that, that gives you um, a better understanding. Mm. Yeah. And I think we can work on that. It's a lifelong exploration of curiosity, right? The more that we 
I wouldn't say work on it because that makes it sound like it's an uphill struggle. If we just get curious and listen to other people, and again, if we want to get aware about, you know, things that we don't understand, it's about keeping your ears and eyes open. So when you interact with another human being that you're not comfortable with, for me, it's a call to action. It's like, okay, well, what is that? You know, is there a truth in why I'm being uncomfortable? Is it just because I just don't know, I don't have that awareness yet? And then opening your ears and eyes gifts you with new information and insights. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, and to, and to your, your, your question, Cordelia, I wish that I could say, you know, go to your office and write this new handbook or, or you know, change the world or, you know, whatever it is you can. But I, I think it's it's all about baby steps. And, mm -hmm. and you know, you're not going to change the world to write the handbook until you've actually had that individual transformation. Yeah, I'm, I mean, overwhelmingly, just listening to all three of you, I'm really hearing that um, there is an opportunity here. I know many uh, companies globally are incorporating mindfulness practices, and maybe it, this is the, the safe space. While you're being mindful, be aware, you know, mm -hmm. of uh, your, you know, what's setting you off, what your triggers are, and the way you're communicating, and um, just bringing awareness to how you show up in your team and, you know, is there someone that you're not listening to? You know, I know it sounds like unrelated, but it's completely related apparently, right? Because that's what makes us all more human is being mindful of how we're behaving, how we're behaving and whether or not we're actually listening to our, our bodies and our thoughts. Mm. So I guess, you know, I, I wrote a little synopsis of uh, some of your key takeaways. Uh, Self-awareness is key. Make space for new people and ideas um, and push yourself out. Yeah, I, absolutely. To see um, the world through others' eyes. And so um, would you like to close us out, Dorothy, with any like like one final golden nugget I, I i think i think it's just about being welcoming and um you know it, it's all about the openness and meeting new people and you know even when we're working remotely because this is something that an argument that i i hear quite a lot but working remotely i'm stuck in my flat or my apartment and i can't but you know, I think that this is one of the, the benefits of the times we're living in. Um, I mean, personally, I think if I would have shot myself if it hadn't been for Wi-Fi and, and technology. Um, the, it, it, it's, you know, you can reach out to people on LinkedIn. You can reach out to people on Clubhouse. Um, and it's so easy now to network in a way that we couldn't network before. And generally, I find that people are very open to making contact. So just reach out. I, I try and meet three, meet when I say meet, three new people every week. That's my goal. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be everybody else's goal. If you meet one, you know, that, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, looking back, that's how we met, didn't we? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> But it sounds like traveling without moving. Yeah. I mean, technology is an enabler in the right hands when we've got clarity, right? Yeah. And in that case, yeah. If you're saying, well, I've not been to that country, reach out to someone on LinkedIn and, yeah. and you get 
you get an education and you know and maybe yeah. a friend yeah, yeah. yeah exactly so I, I think there are so many ways to do this now um but you know when someone comes oh, you know it's it's difficult with covid no it's not difficult um try this and even and it's great for introverts because you can do it gradually and i understand that, that a lot of people have concerns about safety and i get that but you know that provided that you you know, the, the person that has a solid, you know, profile, all of those things, it, it's not a dating site. So you just have to have a professional um, connection with them. Mm, absolutely. Great. All right. So Mira and Peter, any last thoughts? No, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And I think, you know, what, and what I really loved from what you shared, Dorothy, is, is the fact that we're all humans, that we all have biases, that we all can make mistakes, uh, and, and that's okay. Uh, we really need to, we, we don't want make, we don't want to make monsters out of, of people that make mistakes. We want them to become aware of them. It's, I mean, I think, I think that's why I don't like the word eradicate. I mm. think it is. We all do it. We just have to learn to manage it because in certain situations, it can be damaging. Yeah. No. So I think yeah. as, as long as we remember that, it, it, it's fun. Mm. Yeah, the only thing I would, I would just mirror what Mary said really, that, yeah, what you've said, Dorothy, thank you, is very empowering because it just shows that everyone has to work on this, mm. you know, and it's, it's everyone's responsibility. And if we chip away at that one employer at a time, then, yeah, that's how we can make an impact, right? Mm -hmm. exactly. thank you thank you thank you so much and thank you for our viewers and listeners to for joining us tonight on unlearning labels thank you for having me you're welcome bye you're welcome thank bye. you bye thank you for listening as you can see unlearning labels is about talking the walk of i see you i hear you and i value you Join us live every last Wednesday of the month for the recording of each episode and continue the conversation with us on Clubhouse every Thursday at 2 p.m. EST, 8 p.m. CET. If you would like us to help you address any of the topics we explore during the show, such as diversity and inclusion, cultural change, leadership development, or one-to-one -one executive coaching, please contact us via www.unlearninglabels.com or reach out to us via LinkedIn.